So I've got myself a couple English-inspired drinks in front of me in preparation for this. Now, what I really wanted to do was I wanted to track down the wine that they drink in the documentary because you see it all over the dock. Like they're drinking white, some weird, like piss-looking white wine. But um, so I was going to do white wine. I did gin and tonic instead, and I've got an English tea on the side. Nice. So I was, go go back. I, I, I was thinking about tea. I just didn't cook it up in time. But I, you know what? I think Paul was pretty hard on the red wine too. If you remember, like late in episode two, like he was really, yeah. he was really feeling it. <laughs> oh, there's a couple times where they're just getting loose, and I'm just dying because this is like exactly what I would have pictured in my head if yeah. if yeah. if I were the Be- if I was part of the Beatles, you know. No doubt. I just anyway. Yeah, I got lots. We got lots. I don't want to. We got lots to get into. Yeah. 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 All right. So let, let's get into it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Not to Three Podcast. I'm joined by the coach Mike Pericone, and usually with sports, but today or bobbleheads, but today it's a little different. Today we're talking about the documentary, The Beatles Get Back, on currently on um, Disney Plus, directed by Peter Jackson. Mike Pericone, I, I blew by the intro. How did you feel about about this this flick, this docu series? First of all, it's great to be chatting with you again, dude. And I loved it, man. Um, I was, you know, really. I posted this on social media, Facebook for the for the people that are thirty nine years old. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, I I was I was actually like it far exceeded my expectations. And I was I remember this was a project that was announced. You know, feels like several years ago now, but I want to say three or four years ago that they were going to put this together. So I lost track of it. And then when I found out it was coming out, uh, I was like, okay, this, hopefully this is good, right? Like that's, I think as a Beatles fan, that's all you're, hopefully this is good. And man, it, it was, it was excellent and so well done. And, you know, eight hours, I could have done 20, you know, it was great. Oh, was great. totally. There, like there's, um, there's, oh shit, man, my, my brain is like flying. I saw so many parallels with this documentary in, um, what I had kind of known a little bit, uh, this era of the Beatles, unfortunately, I'm just, I'm kind of gray at it. It gets so confusing. Yeah. Um, you know, so to see this kind of stripped back and very basic, um, you know, which I think before the only thing we only out there um, video of this was some grainy stuff that isn't like too impressive. So to see this in like, like this high def, like vibrant color as well. And as crisp as it looked, I was so blown away by that. Well, and you know what it was, is it was the beginning of the end of the Beatles and you saw it and you knew that that's where the timeline was. And you said the grainy videos. And like, if you're, if you're somebody who's really gotten into the Beatles beyond please, please me and come together and all the major radio hits, like if you've seen anthology, if you've listened to the B side cuts, when you used to download them off of Napster as a kid, oh, yeah. this is the oh, kind yeah. of stuff that you really wanted to, to see. So to see it all come to fruition, it, it was, uh, yeah, it was so amazing, man. And it was just, it was really cool to see uh, them growing and yet the band shrinking at the same time. It was fascinating. Each character was kind of, you know, you, again, you, you're right. You think, you know, it's like, oh, Yoko broke up the Beatles. Well, probably not. She, she didn't help, Pro, yeah. but it wasn't the demise. And you can see it right in front of your face and live it. It's incredible. You're just a fly on the wall of the greatest rock and roll band of all time. It's it's so true. I, like, I want to get into it, but I want I also want to talk about all the meta things that we're seeing in this because, dude, like, there there are some times like I've never seen uh, uh, Lord of the Rings and and what the stuff that made Peter Jackson incredibly popular, but right. fuck, man, exactly. dude, this it's guy, awesome. it's awesome, dude. And it's you know so good. So I didn't read like I was never to be perfectly honest with you. I was never really into the fantasy genre in general before I watched Lord of the Rings. And I didn't watch it until long after it had been out in theaters and come out. I bought a box set DVD from HMD for $30 on Boxing Day and I got 12 hours of video. I'm like, yeah, okay, this nerd stuff, I'll watch it. You saw the value. (laughs) Dude, yeah. And I'm like and then I watched it. I'm like, this could be one of the greatest stories ever told like and he did <laughs> such a good job and it was like you know, very game of thronesy if you've never seen that but uh, no he's he was fantastic so i expected big things but i knew he was working with source material that he didn't produce too right and that's what you worry about you're like how is this going to survive how nice can they make it look it but it just turns out they were using the best equipment in the world at the time to record something that didn't end up even being produced for tv and you benefited from all this just incredible behind the scenes footage. So yeah, it's- yeah, you totally nail it. Okay, let's get into it because I know we're gonna hit on some things that are gonna get that are gonna like spiral spiral us down this 
Yeah. You know, I'm, wormhole. I'm okay. Stuff without saying stuff, so we gotta go. I know. And you like, there's so many things I want. Okay, cool. Okay, okay. Let's start off with it. I think we can both say that the quality that they presented was incredible. And yeah, I, I yeah. only read a little bit about um, some of like the stories making it, and and uh, it really took like Peter Jackson and I can't remember the producer's name. Um, they had to like convince disney that like yes we need to keep the swearing in just for an yes. element of realism and just mm-hmm. like to, you know and also it doesn't have to necessarily look like a disney product either right, right. Even though it's, they not, the it's not overbearing but they're sitting there cursing and smoking cigarettes while they're producing brilliance right so it's just it's what totally. happened i'm glad they didn't censor it yeah for sure yeah all right so let's get into it the whole concept of uh episodes one uh sorry part one like it's three-part series almost eight hours of content yeah. um they, they show up in Twickenham Studios and they have like three weeks to complete uh, 14 new songs, prep a live show, rehearse for a live show, which sounds like a daunting task for anybody, even super geniuses of uh, of making music. So yeah. I, I was pretty blown away by the timeline they gave themselves. But from what I've dove into what happens leading up into this album, I think they had a lot of raw material ready to go. I think that's fair, and I think you saw certain cuts from certain eras sort of amalgamating this time, because the way the Beatles released records at the end of their, let's say their last three or four studio records, if you want to call them, even Let It Be, it's like it wasn't necessarily sequential songwriting. They were sort of placing stuff, because they weren't really a band sort of anymore, right? And you see that, right? So these are... These are all the things that you so you hear songs that are appear that appear on later records or that were you thought were record, recorded before but maybe put out shortly after they they were uh, rehearsed there. It was really cool. Yeah, and even even the concept of the album, it's like it's get back right or sorry, it's let it be. Uh, but the big track get back, and and I think why the documentary is called get back instead of let it be or whatever else you know they want to use. Yeah, I I really think that they um. Oh shit! I kind of lost my train of thought on that. Fuck, Mike. How, well, no, what was the, I saying? Reason, the reason they called it "Get Back" is because they were getting back to their roots, and they played. That's songs right. Yeah. Mersey Street Records days, and like think little diddly things they'd written when they were fifteen, and you got to see them play old songs, new songs, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly. You know, like just unbelievable. You know, just to see them, it was it was a joy to see them play other people's songs or just fiddle around with stuff that was. Oh yeah. Out or just like on. yeah, you know, just, and just jam it out a little bit. Yeah, 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 and just and literally write songs right before your eyes. I think that's the first. You, I remember there's one sequence in the first part in that first you know couple hours that part one, it, it where the, where Paul basically writes get back in the course of like three minutes in front of your eyes and it's just hey, oh, yeah. i've been screwing around the studio for three or four days they can't get anything moving you know and then george is all getting all frustrated and he just sits there and he starts hammering out this like you know riff and then some lyrics and then jarm starts farting around and you can see they're just playing around with notes and harmony and it just boom right there there's a song wow yeah. unbelievable you know, you know it, re- it really is geniuses at work yeah, it is. Yeah. So what what I was what I was getting at with get back is like not only were they getting back to their roots, stripping away all the the dub tracking that they had done in the previous albums, but they're also kind of getting back together and doing it together as right. opposed to like the last couple of albums where they were doing it individually and then they're all stitching it together then. Right, and then so, ultimately they get back to doing a live show, which is something exactly. they haven't done in so long, and it be- ends up becoming their final concert in the end, right? So, so yeah, crazy. A lot, like, a lot of interesting parallels. I never really thought about the name of the choice, but you can draw a lot from that, that era. Like, totally, or, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think, that, I think it's brilliant because it's fun. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. One of the things that I realized is, like, I, I kept referring, when I was talking to Brittany about it, my wife about it, I kept referring to it as, like, get back album it's not it's let it be and i totally i was totally beside myself with that because i i i I should have known that it was an easy layup beetle question you know (laughs) yeah well i guess the thing is is like let it be is like an iconic single but get back is that really sort of that first hard-hitting track off of 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 um off of let it be right so uh, it's I, it's and it's it's really a, a very de- it's a very much a defining paul song, uh paul like rock and roll song you know he has a yeah ballads that are memorable and yesterday and let it be and, th- and these grand you know vocal and 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 masterpieces but like he, when he really writes his rock songs that i would say that's one of his defining ones too so yeah all right so let's get back into this timeline uh so we're talking days one to seven so the whole documentary is kind of fitting it starts in January 1967. I think that's I find it interesting because you know we're recording this in January, so it's mm-hmm. for, you know from 67 to today. So yeah. the the whole thing was 60 hours of film, 150 hours of audio. Um, 
starts in black and white in 1956 and it kind of tells their origin story. You kind of see their rise to fame and everything and the haircuts and the outfits along the way and a whole bunch of maybe uh, photos you haven't seen of the band in their later years. Um, stuff and that Linda took, if you notice too, Paul's wife. Yeah, taking the that's right. Yeah, and stuff like that, and then them showing her taking pictures in the video, and then showing the actual picture she took. That was some really cool, uh, you know, movie um, movie making there. Yeah, and exactly, I like the tie-ins because it really I kept everything feeling tight. You know, like this photo yeah. was taken by this person, and here it is. Well, and what they were doing too, they were working with like so much audio and probably like a fraction of that in video. So sometimes you watch it and it overlays it and it's like, you, you can tell the audio is synced up with the video, but like it just doesn't matter because it's more about it, like what you're listening to and then you get to see something cool with it, right? So. Yeah, it, it's crazy Yeah, because yeah, exactly what you said, it's almost three times as much audio than, than mm -hmm. video. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in 68, they performed in front of a live studio audience and liked it. It was the first time they had performed in front of an audience in a couple of years. So they just so just what you touched on how they, they decided to do the album. Um, so they, they couldn't really figure out the details of what they how they want to finish it. If it's going to be like a live thing and then a movie or then a TV show or whatever. So you, we talked about that earlier. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of go into like they show all the the characters, right? You have like, uh, of course, the Beatles. They introduce all the Beatles. I loved how they were bringing people in who, if you had just seen in the background, you wouldn't know but they address them so that if it comes up later in a book or something you might read you have a face to put that name like, yeah that was really cool because i've read a lot of beetle books before and sort of the synopsis of the history so lining that up not only against seeing the video and seeing like both like what was right and where it wasn't but I'd, I'd read a lot of those names before so i think for people who have dived deeper into the beatles than just like radio and album then i i think you there is a lot of content there for like beetle maniacs right Totally. Yeah, like tons of little timbits too. I just, I enjoyed how they really took the time to introduce the whole cast. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay. So like, so what are some things that pop out to you and we can talk meta if you want, but what are the things that talk, that start to talk to you when you see them show up at, at um, the studio in Twigum and they start like the, the, everything's bare. They're in this huge sound studio and it's bare and yeah. they start bringing things in. So like, for you, was there anything, any significance in anything happening in these first couple of days? I think that honestly, in the first part, what I what you start to see is where the characters, like where the characters, where the Beatles are at in their life, and 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 it really sets up what's to come and the decisions and why they make it. Um, you know, you, you can start off with uh, with John. You can see he's very involved in in sort of. Well, certainly Yoko, obviously, but like sort of flippant towards the Beatles at that point. You can tell he's just kind of like he's there sort of begrudgingly, but, you know, he wants to have fun and he can't take it seriously and he can't get going. And at the same time, you see Paul. Paul is like very regimented, ready, ready to work. Um, you have to remember, this is the time after their manager, Brian Epstein, had died. And they were really, I think that really, that's what I realized is what broke up. Because after he died, they didn't really have anybody to kind of keep them disciplined. And then Paul became this, like, you know, drill sergeant. And, and, Dad and so, figure. So, yeah, exactly. And, and I think it rubbed everybody the wrong way but like you can see why he had to do it because they were so unfocused at the same time you see george coming up and trying to, and and you see his proficiency on the guitar you start to see a couple of his songs that have become iconic songs and and, and george really coming into his own and the you know the lost forgotten beetle in terms of musical prowess he turned out amazing and i think people don't still don't give bill harrison the credit he deserves so like you but you know then you see that versus like um, you know, and then Ringo, who just seems like drunk all the time and kind of bewildered and maybe realizing that the Beatles are going to break up and he knows that there's problems. And it's like, so he's come in there just sort of like hopefully hoping for the best. Right. And so it's just really cool to see all that develop into what's to come, you know, with eventually George, George kind of breaking off from it for a bit. Yeah. Like, so like, I, I like that perceptive perception. What I saw, like when they're, when they're starting to fill up this huge sound stage. What I'm really thinking in my head is like, th this is a lot of open space and a lot of optimism about what can happen. And then when they start filling up that space and building the sets and doing all those things, you, you start to see them like get closer, get like more uh, accustomed to each other, more comfortable with each other. You start to see like the more that comes to like the more that pushes them together, the outside just pushing them together, like these huge gravitational forces, you know, I mean, they were going pretty crazy on this analogy, but these yeah. forces kind of pushing them closer together. Like this is the right fit. This is where it's supposed to be boys. This is where you need to be. 
well, and that's and what I really yeah, and that evolves into the second episode as well because you're right; they, they're they're ready to do this grandiose performance, and the Beatles realize, like, you know what, like. No, this is not for us. We don't want to. We just want to make music. We just want the four of us in a room, totally, uh, you know, doing it. And that's what. And that you know, that transition from like you know the first you know few days and through the first episode into the second is really like them realizing like this is not working. Like we got to go to somewhere comfortable. We need to. We need to get this done and that maturity uh, to make that decision and ultimately say you know what. We don't need a grandiose production for everybody else. We just got to write some good songs for ourselves because we realize this is falling apart. Um, and uh, and that's really where the magic starts to happen. Yeah, I, I really love it. I love some of the frustrations that they had, how they're comparing themselves to the Beach Boys. If they were in the America, you know, they'd have an eight-track recorder. Why don't they have an eight-track recorder? Yes. And then yeah. you, you kind of see them shitting on EMI. And, yeah. you know... I mean, at this time in the music industry, even the Beatles were getting screwed over by the record labels. Right. But when to, to see that frustration really like in that with them really blew me away. Well, because they they don't want to settle for less, and and that's exactly the, the Beatles got big on being on the front of teeny bopper things and being on the radio and, and girls screaming. But they like they always resisted that. As soon as they got to that point. They wanted to just keep showing. No, we're we're revolutionary. We we're about the music. We're not. We were only singing those songs to get your attention. Uh, and and now we have it. Here's what we can really do. And that's where that division came between. Like, oh, I don't like that. That's crazy drug music. And it's like, no, that's not brilliant. And, yeah. You know. And they wanted to just keep going. They they you know they're coming off of Sgt. Pepper's and Revolver and all these crazy albums where they were testing the limits and they can't even get the proper recording material. Like. Do you not realize what we just did? And we're competing with the Beach Boys who are doing these melodic harmonies with all the, you know, and, and it's just like, it became almost like an arms race amongst the bands. They know, like, I, and they were competing against each other and becoming great as a result. Like, it was, yeah, it's so cool. It's so cool to see that, right? And to see, like, how they were motivated, especially, like, Paul. He's like, no, I want this. Like, it, you know, he, he th that's where it comes from for, with him, I think, is just his drive to be great. Yeah, man, I, I, I think it's a, it's a real exciting time because it's still it's, it's almost like the honeymoon phase of everything, too. Everything's like so sweet, like, oh, we're doing this again. We have done like we all gone our separate ways, yeah. but they've also all have like new lovers in their lives so that they're a little bit more grounded. They're not too out, you know, out and about. Yeah. And yeah. what I really liked is like the, the character development happens so quickly. Like, you know, these guys because of their faces on the albums. But then you see their little quirks or little person personalities come out. The character development happens so quickly. You see Paul as the organized one. You you see John Lennon as a fuck up. You see Ringo as a professional. You see George as the up and comer. Like you see all these these developments happen so quickly. Yeah. And like for the you know, I mean, yeah, fine, it's a long documentary, but you, you it happens so quickly in in the narrative of the whole thing that you're just blown away by it pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, but and then of course in, in the first episode you get you get like George's first inkling of what is the underlying story of this whole thing of George talking about like it's the only like the last album they, wor they worked on was the first album he actually like tried to get involved with which yes. is mind-blowing because well, that's like that's, yeah that's just it. oh my that had been the way and that, and really I think like Brian Epstein was very interested in preserving a certain image and it was John and Paul as the front man and George was you know an accompanying guitarist that had his fan base and stuff but you know again like after that after that direction was gone they just all realized, like, we just have different things. They, they really matured. They became adults, you know, sort of in, in front of your eye. You're seeing the, the maturity that's happened between, you know, uh, I, I'd say, like, that that early stage and what you kind of, where they ended up as, as when, and where they really branched out. Because you can see, like, George, you know, he's got the Harry Krishna guy with him. You know, John is right. with Yoko and only Yoko all the time. And these are all fresh things in everybody's lives, you know, captured on film, right? So, uh, yeah, it really sets up the rest of their lives, respectively. It's, and 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 that in that same time frame in the doc, like it's the first time, you, you know, you're right. It, it was John and Paul, and it was a John and Paul show, and those other guys were kind of looked at as supporting cast. But the fact is, like, they had contributions that they wanted to keep giving, and I think if if they were able to kind of keep it together after this, I think you would see the more natural progression of each guy having two or three songs on the album and that's it. What was you know, incredibly like, clear, yeah, what was incredibly clear about the Beatles is that unfortunately what they should have done, and I, they couldn't they couldn't be contained all of them anymore. They needed to go their own separate ways, do their own separate music. I feel like George especially and Paul in some regards. Um, but they needed to do that. 
But there really should have been no. Unfortunately, they fractured these relationships through ego and a little bit of pride and stuff like that. But they really should have gotten together every couple of years and and just made an album. Because I think that even if they just did that, I think that that you can see that true kindred friendship and love of music that they had when they were 15 years old, and it's still there. And I think if they didn't just over, if they were allowed to grow separately and then come back and revisit, and I think you saw that if you ever saw the anthology thing that came out in the early 90s, you saw George and Paul and 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 Ringo to together and it, well, obviously it's sad that John's not there but you can see that no nah, they really just enjoyed each other's company while they were playing music when all the BS of being the Beatles was stripped away you know they loved it and uh, totally it's, it's you, too bad that they didn't get to do that and you could you could just see how they really just they knew each other so well because I mean keep in mind here's a real mind-blowing thing for me 28 years old like John and Paul are 28 years old that's uh, hard to believe right and and uh, Harrison is like a year younger I don't. I actually don't know where Ringo's lies in like ages, but whatever. I think Ringo's I mean, the oldest by like a year or two. I think that was part of the original story. I think when when Paul was fifteen, John. I think he was like seventeen or something like that. So. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's mind blowing that these guys are too, like not even thirty yet, and they're you know they've already accomplished more in their lives than anybody and anyone could, and it's just it's just incredible. Only at twenty eight, and, and they, they still want, have their yeah, prime. But they want more for for like not for like they don't need money. They don't. They they truly just want to make the best music. And that's uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, like you know, I, I don't know what the Beatles' worth is at this time, but it really was a thing on the on the documentary where a lot of people, especially towards the end, you know, we'll get to the, that part, but towards the end where you know everyone's talking about, well, they got the money. It's about time they put on a free concert. It's like yeah. what? <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> no. but well, I think they were perceived again. They were so fra- fractured in the way that they were perceived by society because a lot of Beatle Beatle maniacs felt like almost like you know. Um, I don't know, like disillusioned by what they are cheated, cheated by what they had become, like these hippie drug, you know, and again, it's just how you perceived it, how you were raised, the society at the time, you know, we're talking 67, we're talking like, you know, Vietnam era, like this is a crazy time in society in general, right? So totally, um, I think they were vilified in many ways. I don't think it helps when you say that you're bigger than Jesus in a quote. I feel like there's just a lot of breaking points in the Beatles Mm -hmm. that led to their public perception being sort of not about the music anymore. Right. And, and, you know, and, and, I, and they did that to themselves in some ways. Right? But that's what happens when you're the public guy. You know, you can't really fault that. But, you know, but you know what's so important, really, when they brought in Billy Preston in episode two to be that counterbalance, not, in, you know, and just to, to kind of allow them to get away from their egos and focus on somebody. You saw that. Eh? Like, that was a big point. I know I'm sort of pushing this toward, too. But that's that was a really that's what saved the Beatles. Man. That's what made totally. Them there, I mean, there's so many things that I want to I want to jump onto. I just can't I can't get anything in, man. We're too passionate about this kind of I stuff, know, bro. <laughs> it, it's it's wild. Like, yeah. So let's wrap up like episode one. I mean, episode one, really good introduction. Everything's really strong, and you, you're just excited for what's yeah. happening next. So that's day one to seven. So moving on, then they go to day eight to sixteen. John, Paul, and Ringo meet with George following his walkout and move the sessions to Apple Studios. Big turning point in the whole narrative of the movie. Um, George is really getting fed up that he's not being heard. Paul kind of antagonizes him, and John kind of sits back a little bit. Ringo sits back a little bit, and you can really see this tension, father-son, yeah. yeah. teacher-student kind of tension. You got to play it this way, George. You got it's like I'll play it any. Like I'm trying to do what. Like basically, I'm just as smart as you. But if you keep telling me to do this, I'll just do it. So you shut up. You see him totally that, right. That's that's essentially what he's saying. And it's like you know, you're right. It's like a petulant child versus a you know a strict father. And I don't. You don't really know who's right. You just know that they're trying to make it work, right? Yeah, they're they're trying to make it work. But also, too, you could see how Paul has. He's trying to iron it out in his brain, and yes. and you know he, he is he is you're exactly right. He is saying I'm smarter than you, but what he's trying to do is he's trying to figure it out and also guide, which is very difficult to do. Yeah. And yeah. in any situation, George is a good sport about it. But man, I felt for George in this scene. It just it, I felt for him because he felt like he was fucking up and he wasn't fucking up. Right. Exactly. He couldn't do anything right, and he just got fed up. He says, you know what? Like, I don't need this, basically. Like, you know, yeah. this is a guy who had taken on meditation and gone, you know, met with, uh, you know, uh, the uh, Maharishi or whatever his name was. Like, like these, yeah. he was at a different point in his life. He did not need Paul's BS, right? So Totally. Um, and, yeah, and it, it took a lot for them to get him to eventually come back. And I, I think once he came back, to his credit, he really sucked it up and just – 
put himself into the music. I thought that was, a, I think as much as Paul, because Paul still needed to do his, and again, Paul needed to lead, the band needed a leader, and it wasn't going to be John. Totally. And it wasn't going to totally. be Ringo. And it's probably totally. going to be George. It's just the way that Paul was interacting with George specifically. There was just too much, too much uh, history there almost, you know, like too much, too much uh, tense attention to really do anything about you, what really gets me too with with how this kind of opens up and develops, and you see the personalities, and you see the clashing, is you really see different personalities in yourself. At least I felt that mm-hmm. when I when I'm watching it. You know, I'm seeing Paul, and you're like, you know, I take it like it's it's very. I mean, all Beatles fans, I believe, but it's very passionate to see these guys that you've grown up listening to, the world's grown up listening to, and you kind of see kind of their imperfections. Kind of hard to see a little bit, but man, don't uh, ever meet your heroes. It's a it's don't a ever meet. Yes, I've been hearing that more and more often, and I'm just so inclined to think that it's true. And it's like, yeah, you're right. These guys are just these guys are icons, you know. Uh, and 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 how you know and and they make perfect music in your ears. So how could they possibly be anything but perfect? And you see, yeah, they're very and they're very they're 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 exhausted. They're frail. They're you know fragile and they're and and they're and they're yeah they're imperfect and it but at the same time they love each other for it and used to and through episode two uh, you really start to see that rekindle again I feel like it's the last hurrah of the Beatles in Apple Studios and on the rooftop and it will never be the same again they don't realize it at the time but they realize that you know that their friendship creates beautiful music and they focus. On it. You're yeah, you dude, you're fucking nailing it, a hundred percent. You know, it, when you see they they and I think they can all have the foresight to see like we may not be doing this forever, but we're gonna do it as long as we can. And unfortunately, you know, situations happen, but it's it blows me away how they, you can kind of see that they're nodding each other. Like yeah, man, this is a, this is probably our last big go. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe we'll do the the casino tour or something after this. But like it, it's kind of crazy how you can see it in them that they're foreshadowing. Yeah, they're not saying it, but you can tell. You can tell. You can just tell that they're just yeah. They're really putting everything they've got left into this. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I I love it. I mean, episode two is so moving. But then you get the transition into Apple Studio or Apple Corpse, um, which was I was so in I was so intrigued with the studio more than the business itself more than anything at, after this point i just wanted them to go on i was just so curious about it. like i was curious if it's still standing today you know like if mm-hmm. like what what is it producing who runs it what ha- is it in the same building like i wanted to know more about apple corp after this documentary i went on a small binge and then i had to go flute over to ebay and see if there's any kind of merchandise or uh uh knickknacks from it yeah I went because to, where is it i think in I think it's in New York, near where John Lennon uh, used to live. That that the original door from Abbey Road is there. It's either there or at the Hard Rock in Orlando. Because I've seen the original Abbey Road doors, which they've since replaced. But they have it on display. At- oh, very uh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would like to. I would just like to know more about the business. I know that later on, a lot of the like, issues happen with Paul and Apple Corp and ownership of things. I can't remember exactly how it breaks down, but it, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm sure there's a documentary out there somewhere about it. But I really found like this studio became like another character, just like how Billy Preston became a character yeah, uh, or yeah. our main player. The studio really did too, because you could see how proud of the, the studio they were and how they were kind of pushing the industry a little bit forward with this. Yes. So you could see the pride in that. And I was really blown away by the feel of the studio. Like, I think they, I feel like they really, the filmmakers really captured what it feel like to be in there. I think you're right. And I think, and again, it's really when the, when the, I mean, they were fiddling around in the first, you know, uh, week. Uh, and, and you started to see the semblance of basic songs, but really when they got into that, it, again, you're, you, you, you nailed it earlier. It's just that tight quarters. It's just the four of them. It's not anybody else. And they're not really thinking about the cameras. They're just, they're just doing what they do. And, you know, it's, it's, it's magicians. At work, so totally. And I, and I think they got used and friendly with the film crew. Like I feel like they felt more comfortable with all these people around. Yeah, um, I, I think because they were always they're the, the Beatles, man. They had people around. I feel like at, they, at this point in their lives, they've tuned out the noise around them when it comes to music. And I don't, I never felt, even though they were recording this for documentary, they probably assumed that a lot of this backstage footage wouldn't have audio necessarily. And then it would be more focused around whatever TV was produced. And they do some little snippets of them behind. But I can't imagine they ever thought that all this was going to get out to the public at any point. So, it, like, or, or, 
it was very pure. I never I felt felt that any of them were false for the camera unless they were like hamming it up for the camera and then in, and which they did a lot, but that was on purpose. That's John. Like that's John just looks at the camera and does goofy things. And that's really the only time he breaks in character, but that's him. He's just an oddball crazy person. You know? Totally. Yeah. I, 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 there's, uh, yeah, I, I really, yeah, fuck man, you're nailing it. I, I really feel like they had a certain comfort level at this point, but also wanting to get it, like, just get it over with. Let yeah. me ask you this. When you start in episode two, you start to see more of the wives and girlfriends show up. Um, see Maureen Harrison show up. Uh, uh, Linda Eastman, Yoko Ono's always there. Like, I really felt like Paul was trying with Yoko. Especially when they're doing all the riffing and she's just like screaming in the mic. I know that's a big rip on her, but it's right. really hard in the ears, man. No, no, <laughs> so. Yoko's not for me for music, and she does stuff with John later on, and I, I just don't care. For, I, whatever she's trying to do, uh, and what you know, she's done some great things in her life for for her causes. But like Yoko, again, we there, it was very easy to say. People want a narrative as to why something happened. They want like a one line sentence. Yoko broke up the Beatles. And she right. didn't. She didn't. She, no, I agree. She caused John to look at something other than the Beatles. And then John basically decided that nothing else was important except for her and world peace. And he just changed his priorities in life. Right. He just flipped the script. Um, but, you know, again, I, I, it's like he's like almost kind of like. He, he's kind of wandering through life at most part of the documentaries, but then when he sits down to play his music, I just see the 15-year-old that I saw in the clips in the black and white in in the uh, in the cavern. Like I see those same faces. I see this chubby kid that's on Ed Sullivan. Like it's just all of those things you've seen before. That's when you really see him. So I don't know, become his stage self, whatever. Become his music self. Become his zany self. Um, right. But yeah. No. Uh, Linda. Linda to me just is an interesting character. Like in that, just that she's. Sort of floats around you see the developing of her but she doesn't really dominate it's yoko that's that's a lot and and that's really sort of the beat but yeah she always feels like she's clicking like i never felt like anybody everybody i mean to me i felt uncomfortable watching her being there because i know that it didn't help in the beatles staying together but it's like when i want the beatles seem perfectly fine to accept they're just happy to have john there making music at least that's how i see totally john, right he's just happy to be there because he figured this might not happen again I think you're right. Like, I I think that Paul really tries. Um, I and I Yoko was just also being like a very big support to John, who obviously needed it because he's obviously a man child. Like right. he, you know, he he did a whole thing when they went to India and in the meditation, and he was the only guy there that wasn't with somebody. You know, he saw everybody else in love. He kind of was looking for so he finds Yoko. Yoko and Yoko gives him everything he needs, all the attention, all the creative freedom, all the artistic freedom. Yeah. And he, he finds solace in that and he moves on with his life. And so I, I see why she's attached to him. And Paul even says it in the doc. He's like, you know, they're just doing the thing where they have to be in each other's space all the time. And yeah, he, you exactly. can see right there, he accepts it. Like, yeah, he, he's, he's documenting it in front of his friends, but he's also acknowledging he's it. a little bit of fun in it too, but he's like, what am I going to do basically, right? Like, let's Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So – I loved I loved episode two for that. I thought it was so good to kind of start to see like the um, the wives and the family and all and all those relationships working together so too. As much, so as much, I'll take it in a slightly different direction because as much as I liked all to see, all, you're right, the supporting cast and the different fam, sort of family growth. What the my favorite part of episode two was the conversation that you didn't see between Paul and John, and it's recorded. Oh, in the, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're trying to get George back, and they're having a real honest conversation about where they are at in life. And and basically they're saying like I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like we're not working. Like they're they're basically agreeing that this is not working. This probably won't work, but you know, I we think we should do it anyways. We need to get them back, but they're really coming to terms with where they are at as a group. Uh and uh to hear the two greatest rock and roll songwriters uh, for me anyways uh having that honest conversation about how they're probably not going to be writing songs together much longer uh was uh truly incredible what a what a <sighs> i totally agree it's it's mind-blowing right because it's you're basically listening to a breakup whatever yeah, way you want to slice it's still a breakup that, you can't even believe that they have this you're like what like, you know, yeah. like i'm sitting there <laughs> hanging on every word bro i'm like oh my god this is re like you think it's fake you think it's just a couple impersonators like how could you possibly have this right you know yeah wow. that is so funny and I, I you know what that's hilarious too 
I, I, yeah, it, it's basically FBI shit, CIA, FBI yes, exactly, shit. Exactly, exactly, dude. And, <laughs> but you know, it's even funny too because you see it in episode three, they have a hidden camera at the door of Apple Corp. So yeah. everybody walking yeah. in, you know, they get like these honest reactions to the place. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like, like, oh, that's the other thing I forgot to mention too off the hop is you really get exposed to Beatle humor. Yes, in this doc, yes. it's it, you really understand it, and they to think that these guys were the biggest biggest faces on the planet. This is essentially like the attitude that most young adults then adapt to. You know, like they, I just found them like so like. Um, I mean, I, I want to say kiddish, but I think they're just like yeah, having they were, fun. They were and, absolutely playful, playful man. It playful, was, yeah. Joyous, you know, like it was. It, it was very pure. That's what it was. It was pure yeah, joy. Yeah, it was. You saw that come out in humor. You saw that come out in laughter, and um, and you know, you see such high and low emotions in this um, from these from these icons. It's wow, you know, it, really good point there. Yeah, no, it, it's it's like it's like when if you if you get together with your with your legends crew or whatever, and you go to a ball game again you're just gonna act like you did you know when you're the first time you went and it's it's such a unique opportunity it's, it's almost like deja vu nostalgia you know? dude you're blowing my mind i had this conversation with kyle the other day and i was drawing parallels i was like dude like this is exactly what it was like you know every time we see each other for the first time in a while there's a lot of distance and then you know one one guy says a dick joke or one guy says something and then all of a sudden we all start laughing this is the exact parallels you see with any camaraderie with any friends you know yeah it's, yeah. it's reconnection you the reason why you love those people in your lives and then you see all those sparks flying you see the creep juices flowing you see a yeah. couple of drinks yeah. going and but everyone's just having that's what happens when you have a good time you know and they yeah. just happen to be jamming the whole time and and like ironing out these tunes let's get into the tunes my man sure when, sure when you, when I heard some of these early rat, like riffs of um, for sure for sure um, let it be of course when he's ironing out let it be and when he's ironing out get back I'm just I'm screaming at my television yeah. sweet Loretta Martin sweet Loretta <laughs> Martin <laughs> they're like sweet Loretta McKenzie you know I'm like oh my god it starts so yeah. different yeah. Like the difference yeah. in these tunes and you see them iron them out is Oh man, it is so magical. It's right. watching an, an animator put a drawing together of a character. It's it's so great. Well, think about how many times times you've heard that song, dude. Like we could sing that in our sleep. You don't need a backbeat. You don't need anything. You can do the whole. You can do the guitar riff. You can do the solo. Totally. Like, we know these songs. So to hear them in a different form, that's uh, dude. When I like again, when we were like twenty years old, and you could sort of download internet stuff, the early infancy of, of of MP3s and stuff like that. Like when I found like these Beatles deep cuts, where I could hear like, you know, seven or eight different versions of you know takes in a row, and then sort of the regular song, I just couldn't get over it. Like I heard all these different versions of Strawberry Fields, which is such an unique song and an acoustic version. I'm like, what? This is yeah. So anytime I can get anything new with the Beatles, because it's I mean, you can listen to Let It Be over and over again, and it honestly doesn't bother me. It'll never be. It will give you tingles every time. I always love that song. But to hear something slightly different is is nearly orgasmic. You know, like it's, yeah. it's it's incredible, and you just you just have to be wired that way for the Beatles. And I'm sure if anybody else is into a particular band or genre, if you find that deep cut that you never heard of your favorite song before, what a treat, right? You know. Oh, hidden gem for sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So moving on into episode three. Um, you know, they're comfortable in, in um, Apple Corp. The, the progression is happening, but they still haven't ironed out the, the show. Now you're they're getting into those stages. They're getting to the show. The rooftop, like they're bouncing around all these ideas. The rooftop gets brought up by, I think, Mal. And yeah. all of a sudden, okay, now we're performing on the roof. Well, Paul, in you, you see it in Paul January. That's what I want to do. Like, I didn't, we can't find anything else. That's what we need to do. We need to play live music. We need to remember how much fun it is. We're not going to have anybody screaming. We're not going to, you know, we're just going to play and, um, and, and basically refine our craft. And I, and I, I imagine in his head, he's thinking maybe we'll be able to do a tour out of this or something. Maybe I can get the guys going. Like, that to me is how I perceive Paul's wheels clicking. Like, maybe we can save this. Maybe we can, you know, like, be the Beatles again. So we, we, we spent all this time in this small studio making our music. Let's go do what the world expects us to do. Let's show it off, right? You know, and but let's only do it for whoever's walking by. You know, let, let, let's not, let's be cool about it. <laughs> well, I, I think to sell some of those guys on it, he had to be 
you had to have a different approach, right? Because you, you saw so many times George just get frustrated frustrated with the direction of the Beatles. Yes. He, you know, yes. they would say something like he didn't want to be the pop guy. He, you know, he wanted to be deeper. He wanted to show himself and his talent. You see him give props to Eric Frapton. It's like, um, it's, it's just like wild how he, like, how his, how his um, personality and how his emotion comes through. So I think what happens, like the only way they were able to break the tension was by bringing in Billy Preston, the piano player that we've mentioned a few times. Uh, uh, and he, you know, he, he plays all the piano on the album, does a great job, um, really, really proficient and a lot of fun. But that stops that friction from George. And then George just kind of thinks, you know what, let's just do something fun. And like, he, you know, I think honestly, bringing somebody into the room, they didn't quite want to be as forthright and they needed that break to be able to recenter themselves and realize that again to focus on the fun right so they ba- he basically became the the buffer the intervention you know totally that they, need, that they needed right so yeah um, he, he 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 helped repair and rejuvenate the, the boys and just get them to that last stretch yeah exactly because they weren't going to treat each other with such disrespect with with a, with a guest musician in, you know like I, I feel like i don't think that they were trying to do that but that's what just kept blowing up that that, that frustration you know like that all those underlying issues really what I, I i you know yoko didn't break up the beatles george and paul broke up the beatles, and john didn't care and ringo's really sad and that's what happened right so yeah so. well i'll tell you this i have a newfound respect for ringo after watching this you know i i never really cared for ringo I, you know, I read, I read, I read the things about him and, and that kind of stuff. And I wasn't, I was never like too intrigued by him, but like, you know, you start to see that he's, he's the most professional out of everybody. Paul was there to do his job, but yeah. Ringo was the real professional. Ringo was the first guy there, the last guy to leave. He was, he was always ready to go. Ringo wanted the Beatles to stay together the most. He had the most, I don't want to say this in like a facetious way, but he had the most to lose from it. This was his everything. And he never would have ever left the Beatles because he loved those guys. Not because he was Ringo Starr. I think he didn't even care anymore. Like, I think he would just love John. He loved George. And he, you know, he wanted Paul to get along with them. And he just, he was kind of the, you know, the younger brother of the group that just like tags along and just is along for this fantastic ride with his best friends. And, uh, you know, and, and you see that. Yeah. So he's he's willing to show up. He does everything he needs to do. Again, I think he's you know, you can tell that he I think he's having trouble coping with what he knows is the break of the Beatles. And that's why I mentioned I think he's drunk a lot of the time. I, you might be high a lot of the time. But I think that's him trying to you know, like get through this really difficult period and, and, and sort of medicating himself that way to numb to just get through it. So that's the way I looked at Ringo. You know, as much as he did care and you saw that. But I, I thought he was having trouble sort of coping and relying on other things. I you know I I didn't see it that way. Like I thought he I think he's just like he enjoyed to watch too. Like yeah, they kept yeah. they kept calling him Russia, right? Which threw me for a little bit of a loop. And I didn't know at first I didn't know why. Like I didn't realize he's like Russian descent, right? So yeah, yeah. so I didn't know I didn't know that. So yeah, that was kind of like mind blowing too to be like oh the the code names that they'd call him, but you couldn't tell if it was a jab or not too, right? Like they said it so half and half that it was like they either called him to kind of put him in his place. Or like they're they're really just calling because that's what they called them, but you didn't it hear them. Like, I think you're right. I think it was like a pet name that they used for difference in there. I just think it was probably a long running thing with the Beatles, and who knew that he, they called them Russia? But they probably have for years, right? Like it's just one of those things, a little tidbit that you kind of yeah, it just yeah, just like a new a new little nuance to everything that you didn't really realize was happening. Yeah. Um, all right, so they decide on on the rooftop show. The rehearsal goes into that. Uh, one thing that I I'd always, I'd always seen some of the footage of that, but I never I never really saw the. I don't think, I mean, no one really saw the in-depth looks that they were giving. I was kind of blown away by how shit, how shit this whole layout was. Like they just threw like five by eights on the ground and they're like, hey boys, <laughs> set up on this plank. Do we think it's going to hold? Like with that, with <laughs> yeah. that yeah. it's like, okay. Oh my goodness. Like I know, I know English, I know English engineering has its qualms and, and, and gripes with people, but I do not trust the roof with all that equipment banging around, you know, and then of course, like all the other people that were either four or five feet away from the camera shot and yeah, the people in yeah. other buildings. Oh my God. Like, that shit like that could never fly today. Maybe yeah, could, but yeah. oh my God. But, and it, it's too bad that they, they didn't have better technology at the time to actually make the presentation better. I mean, drone, they could have done the helicopter shot it would cost them 2,500 bucks, which is crazy. Right. Yeah. But you know, a drone shot today would would have made that so. I mean, just so surreal. But um, what they got was pretty incredible because they did have so many things set up, right? So, like, you're right. I agree. They, like, it, there was there's still some very like 
they, they keep cycling the same sight lines, right? So, yeah, it's definitely very late 60s, but um, I thought it was kind of cool. And I thought it was just a really cool venue to kind of just, like, I just love the reactions. I love the way that the police showed up, and I loved everything that followed through the end of the, you know, the whole show. So I just think it's so cool to see, because I, I, like you, had seen, like, there was like a 45 minute something like that bootleg before and it was sort of just a concert with the songs and then they cut out certain things but all you see is the police walking up the stairs and then going like you only see that little snippet of them out front and then up the stairs it's like two seconds but to see like the police waiting in the lobby for like 30 minutes to shut them down you know whatever like oh yeah basically realizing like am i gonna be the one to shut down the beatles or can somebody else come and do like you know being like unnecessarily patient like there's no way any noise complaint like that would ever stand as long as it is but like it's the Beatles, though. You can yeah. see it all over his face. They were right? <laughs> they were asking the questions just so that if they got asked later, interrogated later, yeah. like we ask those questions, okay? Like we yeah. the, go, check that, go check that camera that's in the in the wall. Yeah, the it'll show you. I did my job. Right? Yeah, he's like, we did enough not to get fired. That was basically yeah. it. Yeah, uh, sure. I, you know, it, it's uh, like I just think it's interesting, and you may or may not know the news, but. Uh, June, uh, sorry, January thirtieth. They're releasing IMAX the the whole concert IMAX. I saw that. Yeah, so that'll yeah. Be, that's kind of interesting. Doing a one night only thing. Like I, I, I'll probably skip that. But that's neat. I, I, you know, I, I think you get enough in the like. I, I'd rather just watch the entire eight hour documentary again. Quite frankly, and, yeah, but, you know, fair. That's uh, you know, I, for those who don't want to sit through eight hours of the Beatles and just want to see a rocking concert, I bet it's great. Yeah, I, I think it'd be good enough to watch. I mean, I'm curious what yeah. they do with yeah. the sound as well, because I mean that's one of the big things too with IMAX. Yeah. Um, so I, I will be wondering. Taking the eight hours and putting it into 15 minutes before the concert, like I, they're going to do a little bit of something, but I imagine it'd be very pared down. Yeah, uh, one thing that also kind of blows my mind is that they actually have one. Like, they use one of the versions from the rooftop for the album. I didn't know that. That a was a couple of them, room. I think, in the end. I think uh, there's two or three that it looked like they used uh, when I saw it there, too. You're right. And, and, yeah. But but you recognize, to me, if you got that, if, you have, if you've listened to so much Beatles that you can't count how much Beatles you listen to anymore, like, you you know those versions. As soon as it, he hits the first note, I'm like, yeah, that's the one. You know, yeah, it, totally. Because you can hear it, right? And it's just... Yeah, uh, it's you're right. Yeah, you're so right. There, I mean, there's so many times in this documentary, if I took a shot for every time... Every time I, I I had a goosebump or a hair on the back of my oh. neck raise, it like ah oh man like I know we're we're gonna wrap this sucker up, but it is as a as a lifelong Beatle fan as as an admirer of the Beatles, I just loved every second of this this creative process. You want to know? What I my love. Part, you want to know what my favorite part was? Uh, I right sure do. Of, right at the end of the document. They oh the yes. Police, they got the police up on the roof. Everybody's looking at each other. They know that they're about to get shut down. And Mal Evans, the roadie manager, comes over and he unplugs George's amplifier. And George looks at him and I'm sure with his eyes just says, you're not going to fucking unplug me. I'm George Harrison. And he picks it up, plugs it in, yep. biggest smile on his face. They all look at each other and they're like, this is it, boys. This, we're, yeah. this, you know, just like, and they just lay into the song. They even go into one more song, even though it's not to do it again. And they're like, you make us leave. Make us yeah. leave when we want. And it yes. was just like unbelievable. You know, that gives, gives me tingles just thinking about it now. It was so rock and so punk. You yes. know, like it, it, it was, you know, just like we get what you're doing. Like, but like, yeah. this is their, this is their moment. Like, this is their, yeah. we're bigger than Jesus moment because yeah. like the police aren't doing anything for them. Yeah. And that might, not, that might be downgraded a little bit. Down, we're playing music, you know? Yeah. Like, and you know, like we worked our ass off for the last three weeks to get this all sorted out. Like, this yeah. is the, the essentially the moment that we've been working towards all month. Yeah. Here it is. And that I, I, I loved, you know, the, be- what the, I re- the police are sitting on the roof for like 15, 20 minutes before they even shut them down. It's funny. It's like they just waited down on the main floor to get up there. Like they didn't shut them down. I always like that was another mirror. Oh, the police shut them down. And it looked like it from the thing. No, the Beatles decided to stop playing. Right. That's what happened, right? Like, I think they could have kept playing another song if they wanted to. But they, I'm, uh, I'm sure they that they, yeah, they could I'm I'm sure they could have broken into any part of their catalog or just any of those jam sessions we watched. Yeah, but what yeah. you know what I think they I think that's kind of the plan all along. Not secretly, but wouldn't it be funny if the police showed up or whatever? And, but we just kept playing. Like I bet that was casually said somewhere yeah. uh, among yeah. the boys because I I think they also knew like you know playing on there should there there is gonna be something 
some accountability maybe like this. yeah exactly yeah exactly right so uh, there, there's lots to enjoy about the documentary um man i you know that's really cool like you brought up that that kitchen scene or the cafeteria scene on on the um hidden mic yeah. uh, that i totally forgot about that scene and that was that's truly one of the best scenes um I, I loved i loved when you saw billy preston kind of come in and start to just like tighten up the boys and just his talent alone Fantastic. And a guy who didn't mind just like being behind the piano. And this guy yeah. already had a career before this. Or you know, he was a star before yeah, no, helping out the Beatles. He didn't need to do this, but you could also tell that he's like like he not in like an over the top like you know googly eyed way, but he's like, Yeah, I'll play with the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> cause he knew he knew a crossover appeal, but he also knew like you know, I'm I'm jamming with, with the most popular people on the planet. Like this is I'll like this it doesn't get much. Yeah, exactly. Probably, exactly. Probably. I mean, they were trying to hammer, hammer out his wages or whatever because he, you know, they're like, we got to pay this guy for his time. And I'm thinking, Billy's like, man, just just put my name on the bottom right. Totally. Here. Just put I'll take. In there. Yeah, just put me. I'll take a there. third of a percent. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. It's just so mind blowing. I mean, so nice, so well done. Um, I I loved how they really made every effort to show a lot of attribute of everything that was happening the good the bad you know uh the breakthroughs the setbacks and you know all, all the mystery of george like really like this is a coming out party for george the underlying yeah. whole the whole underlining storyline of this documentary is george walking that fine line of, is he does he want to be a beetle does he want to grow into something bigger you know you 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 saw paul mccartney you saw that the where he wanted to, he always had the business in the back of his head mm-hmm. so it's you know he he never lost sight of the main goal and the main revenue you know he he was a mastermind behind apple corp right and he knew money had to be pumped into there again ringo i thought it was such a professional i, I enjoyed i enjoyed him because i just thought saw a guy who loved what he did wanted yeah. to do it as, as much as he I could saw, i saw a good friend is what i saw there yeah. totally yeah. yeah well really well put and and yeah so like I, it, it's amazing and what it's done for me as a beatle fan is I want to now pursue more of John Harrison. Oh, John Harrison! Oh my God, George Harrison's solo stuff. I know his first album. I always heard his first album was really big, but I couldn't find it on vinyl, so I never actually listened to it. Yeah, it's really but, good. And he plays a couple of the songs that he plays that you don't really know or that you might not be familiar with if you've heard that album. He plays it on the Get Back thing. So once you get a chance to listen to his first album, it's a double LP called All Things Must Pass. It's excellent. But two or three of the songs that are in Get Back, you'll hear them there. You know, so oh, very cool. Yeah, you know, so what else? What, do you have any other input? Like, do you feel like, how does it feel? How do you feel as a Beatles fan watching this? Very, very, like, again, I told you, I, I'll just echo back. If you're listening to us long enough here to, to get to this point, then, like, it was just uh, really, really unexpectedly thrilled is how I, I, I felt. Yeah. Because I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. It, far, it was excellently put. And, and you know what? It, maybe you can't sit down and watch two and a half hours plus two and a half hours plus two hours of TV. So I encourage you, this is a free-flowing thing where you'll just kind of keep wanting to come back. So even if you want to cook some dinner and put it on the background for half an hour and knock a bit off that way, like it's one of those things that you, if, if you want to watch it intently, you can. I've seen it a couple times now. So I've kind of watched it in different ways in the background. It's just really, really... Um, fascinating to have on, and I think you can watch it, you know, through. I'll, I'm sure I'll watch it again at some point. And and just a quick one for you, for you, uh, PA. If you want, I don't know if you've seen uh, McCartney three two one. It's also on Disney Plus. Uh, very I, I where he sits down with Rick Rubin and, and like talks about how he wrote some of the songs. So if you're just looking for something Paul related, I thought it was kind of cool. I got through a few episodes so far. Yeah, I, I definitely saw that. I want to check that out. I mean, I I really like the way you described it, man. It's it's it was thrilling to to see this. And also to put it in perspective that this really wasn't done before. Like no. no band had ever had like this film crew follow them for for three weeks. This short time span to pump out what was it like your eighth or ninth studio album? Like right. it, it, it was so crazy. The pressure, the it really is like a boiler pot, like um, back against a wall scenario. You know they, get, they set themselves this timeline, even though you saw them so many times in the movie veer away from it or or flex on it or whatever you, you see that they still get they still give themselves a deadline to try to get this done yeah. um even yeah. with all the flakiness okay yeah. like, like, I, got, I got i got a question for you did any beatles lose did you lose any stock in any of the beatles like did anything change on your opinion with them uh nope um i maybe lost a little bit for john actually if i'm being honest with you i think that he was probably 
in many ways the least interested in what they were doing and that so that was a little disheartening um but you saw that and you know that where he where he ended up musically after that so it all makes sense but to see sort of john struggling to fight for them when paul's fighting so hard um that was perhaps a little disheartening but again it was all a change of lifestyle it's just you just want as a beatles fan what you wouldn't give for one more song like you know so it's it's just it's just hard to kind of take so i guess maybe a little bit of the shine off of john lennon but he's still one of my favorite musicians of all time so not not that yeah much. for me same same i lost a lot for john he just, you know a lot of times he just looked like that you know that that squirrely kid uh that you went to school with like kind of you know the, the oddball kid that you went to school with yeah and i, I was just kind of like saddened by his unprofessionalism. I mean, being a band is is what it is. But I just found him a little too unprofessional for that point in his career. Yeah. So he his stock dropped. George's and Ringo's both raised a, a whole bunch. But more, I mean, more John. And, and my, I always have a love for Paul McCartney. I've always felt more of a Paul guy than a John guy, maybe. But I've always loved Paul McCartney, and I just I saw so much of that ambition in him. It made me really like really like proud of Paul. If that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah, no, that okay. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. It's funny that you say that. I, I always, I flip flop. Like I love some of some of John. So what I like about Paul, I love Paul has a you know incredible voice, um, writes some timeless music. I always like John's um, experimenting in music, and I thought he did that so well, and I thought he really embraced that more than Paul. So I flip flopped on who, you know, who I like more, and there's no real wrong answer. I mean, George is just um, again so underappreciated. I, I, I was so lucky to go after i watched anthology uh you know um back in the, the mid 90s there and i ended up getting the dvd set probably around 2000 i really started to go heavy into george's later albums this guy's a genius man and, and yeah and, and, you, and you notice okay and this is another thing i'll say too maybe this is controversial for some but really outside of imagine john's music musical like his writing it's okay it's pretty good he's got some good songs you know and all that i would suggest that george perhaps had the best post Beatles writing career and Paul Paul did some really good Paul made a ton of music you know some may sound very Beatlesy or similar but he did some great songs too so I think uh, Paul and George did a lot more even up until let's call it 1980 than 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 John so I, I'd be curious as to where we would see John Lennon if he had lived and continued to make music and how he would be viewed you know um, he wrote some 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 of the Beatles best songs and some of the you know best songs of all time but it's just something to, to think about maybe that the other maybe the other two just don't get the credit they deserve you know yeah fair enough you know I yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, we're still. You said it earlier, like you should meet your heroes. I think at the end of the day, you know, you got to chalk these people up as really human. Yeah. And the, you know, so so I mean, when you look at it that way, like you have all, you know, the amount of we're times I see, we're nitpicking. Yeah, millions, totally. Right? That's all we're doing. We're just, that, yeah, nailed if Paul, it. If Paul showed up or if Ringo showed up, I I would just go Gaga, right? So I'm I'm just a full of bit of baloney, but like it's okay. great to talk about and it's fun to do. So my next my last question is. Have you seen the movie yesterday? Um, uh, remind me. Oh, is that the one where the guy uh, starts writing the songs and like it, the Beatles get forgotten? Yeah, the, the Beatles. Like, there's something that happens yes. in the world, I saw and the, I saw yeah. Yes, I so I, I just happened to watch it like a, like a week before I watched this documentary, okay. and there's like this this one part. And, and spoiler, if you haven't seen the movie, turn the podcast off at this point. But the the point in the movie where the people who are tracking down the lead guy who's singing all the songs and uh, they're kind of like he thinks they're out to expose him and they're just there to thank him. And um, he um, they give him the address of John Lennon today mm -hmm. and he goes and meets John Lennon and he has a conversation with John Lennon that that little scene was so eerie for me because it's like yeah, oh wow it's yeah. like modern day john lennon right and yeah. in, in some ways the, the the actor got it really right and then the side profile was horrendous but um <laughs> you know that's me nitpicking again that's but that was just uncomfortable for, you know like it was just one of those things like yeah i get, I get why you did that but come on you know like, yeah so yeah we can I, I love these guys I, on such pedestals man it's it's just everything um everything about the beatles is fascinating to learn about fascinating to listen fascinating to listen to and just when you never you, you think you're never going to get anything again, this shows up and uh, and just just a real treat. Yeah, and, and on, on my last note of it, um, the Beatles released like one song after this, right? Free as a Bird that came out yeah. with Anthology. I love that song. I think that song is an amazing, small, little, beautiful song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just it touches it's a touch your soul kind of song. 
Have you heard the B-side on that single, uh, Real Love? Um, I have it in front of me, actually. I, yeah, I, it's, um, it was actually, like, John had it released at one point. I think it was on one of his later, like, anthologies where they put in, like, rough cuts of his music and stuff. So I had heard the song before just as, like, a John with his, I think it's just his piano. Um, okay. So, but when the Beatles did, like, Real Love's pretty good, too. It's, it's you know, sim- similar kind of, you know, slower jam. And, and you know, that's, like, that's how John was writing, to be honest with you, uh, later on. He was just very kind of melodic and, you know, free-flowing and stuff like that. So both songs are similar-ish but both good i love it mike Perconi, coach this has been a blast and a half yeah right. i you gotta cut it. this off fun. because yeah man because like th- this is a good stretch so yeah. um i want to thank you for your time and and being the passionate beetle lover that you are of course man no it's always uh always fun well i'm sure we'll catch up down the line and uh you know it's uh hey maybe uh Maybe we'll get some more Beatles uh, content one day. Hopefully they can pull something else like this out of the vault again. I'd love to see maybe some Sergeant Pepper's, Pepper's era or something like that. Oh, I would I would love it. But I also think they'd be protective out of that area because of all the drug use going around at that time. Yeah, maybe maybe this is a posthumous thing for all of them. Maybe it shows yeah. up, uh, you know, once they can't have anything to say. Once, once people are just going after money. Yeah, exactly. Which shouldn't be as long. Anyways, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. This is, um, what are we going to call us? Get back. Me and the coach getting back. We like Attaboy. it. Sounds good, man. Take it easy. Yeah, man.